Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from April 26th by Pastor Randy, titled, It's Time to Focus, Part 2. So I want to begin today by telling you a story about Fred Arbanis. He was a tight end. He had a good college career, but he had an excellent uh, NFL career. He played most for the Kansas City Chiefs. But right in the middle of his career for the Kansas City Chiefs, he was walking down the sidewalk in Kansas City, and he got brutally attacked. Uh, so brutally was attacked that he lost one of his eyes. But he, he taught himself how to catch in a block with just one eye and had a great career even after that. So here he is in a game, and he gets hit so hard that knocks his glass eye out. Well, the referee, Tommy Bell, he didn't know he had a glass eye. He just sort of sees that later. He just sort of freaks out. Fred, he just picks it up, spits on it, pops it back in, and goes back to the huddle. Well, after the game, Fred comes, uh, or Tommy comes up to Fred and says, Fred, what would you do if your good eye got knocked out? And Fred, without missing a beat, said, I'd become a referee just like you. It's critical that we be able to see things clearly. And I'm using that as a metaphor because I want us to see the importance of being able to, to see things clearly, to judge clearly between what's important and what's just urgent. To be able to, to see clearly, to judge clearly between what's important and what's trivial, between what's important and what's just temporary. Because every day, every single day, we come up against choices we have to make between what's important and all these other categories. And if we make the wrong choice, it will cost us. And I want you to see that, that even coming up on this choice every day, we see that in Scripture. This concept is played out in Scripture over and over again. Let, let's look at a couple of verses. First of all, Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. All right, so there's two choices here between reconciliation and worship. What's more important? Well, obviously, reconciliation is more important. Those are two good things, but there's one that's most important. Next verse out of 1 Corinthians 8 says this, But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. All right, so here again, what's more important? Is it making sure your brother doesn't stumble or using your liberty, exercising your liberty? Well, obviously, it's more important that your brother not stumble than you exercise your liberty. One more. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So what's better, to obey God or sacrifice? Well, of course, sacrifice is. But Saul made the wrong choice. Between these two things that both seem very important, he made the wrong choice. It cost him his throne. And every day, every day, every day, in big ways and little ways, we're choosing what's more important. And if we're not careful, if we make the wrong choice, it will cost us too in little ways and big ways, but it will always cost you if you don't choose the most important thing. Uh, one more example that we see in Revelation is when Jesus is writing a letter to these churches. In every one of these, or not in every one, but most of these churches, he tells them, you've got some good things going on, but because you have forgotten the most important thing, your lampstand is going to be taken away. In fact, to the church of Ephesus, he said, you guys have perseverance. You guys, you work hard. You are doctrinally sound. But because you don't love God first, you're going to lose. It's, you're, 
your lampstand is going to be taken away. So the principle is this. Whatever we put on top governs our life. And we have to make sure we put the right thing on top or else we're not going to see things clearly. Our, our vision is going to be blurred. So there was this older couple uh, that were at their house. They were having to be quarantined because of the COVID virus. And they're watching TV and, and they're both on the couch and he's got his head laying in her lap. And she's just kind of just stroking his head a little bit. Then she pulls his glasses off and she says, you know, with your glasses off, you look just like that attractive young man that I married 50 years ago. And he says, you know, with my glasses off, you look pretty good too. Uh, the point is this, when clarity is absent, trouble is almost always present. And what we are seeing in the book of Micah is that he's trying to give us some clarity. He's trying to, to show us what is most important uh, so, so that we don't have that blurry vision. So let's go back and read our verse again in Micah 6, 8. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, God has made it clear that we should be focusing on justice and mercy and humility. Now, last week we talked about justice. We're going to talk about mercy this week because a lot of us, we don't really focus a whole lot on mercy. Our focus is you get what you deserve. Uh, in, in our culture today, in almost every area, you're measured by your performance. You know, in school, they're not just going to give you an A. You have to earn it. If you're on a sports team, the coach is not going to let you play. You have to earn that, uh, that right to be able to play. If you're in a band, you want to be first chair. You have to earn that. Uh, in almost area, every area of life, is based on your performance. Uh, even in religion, uh, most religions say you have to prove that you love God. These are things you have to do in order to prove you love God. But Christianity leads off with these are things God has done to prove he loves you. See, Jesus was born into a very merit-based system, but he was always leading with mercy. That's, that's what caused him to stand out so much. But what it says about mercy in Micah is not just we show mercy, but that we love mercy. See, So mercy is not something that we just, well, I need to do this. If I'm a good Christian, I need to show them some mercy. But mercy is something we ought to run to. Mercy is something that we want to, should desire to want to be a part of, that we want to see it flow through our lives. Uh, Look at Micah 7, 18. Who is God like? Who is God like you? Parting iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Why does he delight in mercy? Because the reason we should delight in mercy is because we reflect, that's how we reflect God. And if you don't delight in showing mercy, you, you don't have a mercy problem. You have a knowing God problem. Because our God delights in showing mercy. Real quick, these three familiar verses uh, that you've heard for you. 1 Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lamentations 3, uh, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. God is full of mercy. You remember the, the parable of the Good Samaritan that we talked about last week? That whole 
situation begins by a guy coming up to Jesus and say, what does God want to see from us? What are the things that are most important to God? And Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor. Well, if, if loving God, loving neighbor is most important, well, how does that play out in our lives? How does that look in our lives? So this man probes a little bit deeper and say, well, well, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan about how he's traveling from one city to another, uh, gets mugged, thrown to a ditch, beat up, left for dead. These two religious guys come by and they just pass him over. They ignore him. But the one despised Samaritan, he stops and he helps him. Then Jesus asked the guy, who was the one who was the neighbor? And the guy says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Do the same. See, mercy is a verb. It's action. It's something that we must do. And so what I want to give you today is three things that you must know or you must do in order to love mercy. Three things you have to know or do in order to love mercy. Number one, in order to love mercy, you have to overcome your apathy. See, all three guys saw a man in a ditch, but only one saw a neighbor. It's not that we don't see people in ditches. It's just we refuse to get off our donkey. <laughs> if you can do it that whatever you want. But when we see other people in a ditch, it's not that we don't say that's a problem. And it's not that we don't say we wish that problem would go away. It's just that we see people in a ditch and we say, that's not my problem. Or we say this, they're getting what they deserve. He should have been traveling with other people. He got what he deserved. He should have had some security around him. He got what he deserved. Have you ever said that about somebody you saw in need? They're getting exactly what they deserve. Too often we say that to justify our non-involvement in people's needs. But I don't read anywhere in the Bible where it says we're to show people love who only deserve it. Loving mercy means you have to be willing to, to, to love your neighbor even if he hasn't been so good. I mean, where would, where would we be if God hasn't given us something we didn't deserve? See, mercy people say, if it weren't for God, that would be me. So here's the question. Do you see yourself in the ditch? Do you see the, or do you see the person in the ditch as a problem? See, why did the Samaritan stop? Because he saw himself a person in need of mercy. See, when Micah says that God wants us to love mercy, he's saying that people who know they need it, they love it. If you know you're lost without it, then mercy is going to stay at the top of your life. That's going to be the things you're going to focus on is loving mercy. Second thing, if we're going to be a people who love mercy, we have to understand uh, that mercy impacts the way that we see people. Uh, let's look at this passage in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? So, so there are three big surprises so far in this story. Matthew is surprised that Jesus would notice him. The Pharisees are surprised that Jesus would choose Matthew. And Jesus is surprised everybody else is surprised. And so they ask, the, the Pharisees, they ask Jesus' disciples, why would he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It doesn't make sense to them why God would show mercy to them. But see, that's what people do who want to make assumptions. Because what do these Pharisees do? Do they go to Jesus and ask? No, they go to the disciples and ask. And then they make a big assumption on why Jesus is doing this. There's a story in 2 Samuel 10. It's when David is king. There's this king of a neighboring territory that dies. And he and David were good friends. 
So David sends a delegation over to the king's son, who's now been made king because his father dies. He sends a delegation to him to express their condolences. But when they get there, the, the advisors to, this, to the new king, he says, David wouldn't send people to make condolences like this. He's not that kind of a person. He sent these guys to spy out the king so he could overthrow it. So rather than accepting them, accepting their condolences, they embarrass this delegation and send them back to David. Then one thing leads to another, and then 40,000 people die. Why? Because they made the wrong assumption. See, people who hate mercy, those no-mercy peoples, they make assumptions. But mercy people focus on the story behind the need. Mercy people know that nobody wants to wind up in a ditch. Nobody wants to, their life to become a total wreck. Mercy people look for the, the story behind the need. They want to know what's actually going on. But no mercy people, what do they do? They just jump to assumptions and say, well, he must be no good. That's the reason he's there. That's the reason he's doing that, because, uh, because he's just a terrible person. And then verse 12 in Matthew. But when Jesus heard this, that's when he hears the Pharisees saying, you know, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now, can you imagine being in, in the midst of a situation like this and hearing Jesus say this, hearing Jesus say that you're sick, if you're a task letter, gatherer or a sinner and you're there and Jesus turns to Pharisees and said, well, the reason that I'm here is because they're sick. You know, they're the ones who need a physician. All right. How would that affect you? Now, I don't think it affected them the way we think it did. I think when they heard Jesus say that, that the sick need a, a physician and he's referring to them, I think they're going that's us. We're sick. Yeah. And they kind of high five each other. Yeah, we're sick. We're sick. We're sick. And there are some of you listening right now, you know, you're sick. You can't even keep your own rules. You can't even stay away from what you tell other people to stay away from. You know that you're a sinner, but being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from God's mercy. It's actually a prerequisite to God's mercy. Whenever you're willing to look into a mirror and say, I need help, then you're a prime candidate to receive mercy. That's why we shouldn't be upset when sinners show up at the church, they belong here. What better place for sinners to be? In fact, if you ever come here and there's no sinners here, we probably need to shut the whole thing down because that's what we're here for. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus tells them, look, you need to get out your Bible and you need to do a fresh Bible study. Because if you read your Bible in a way that allows you to hurt people, the wrong people, to look down on people, then you're reading your Bible wrong. Mercy should be the lens through which we read the Bible. And if we're not careful, it's real easy for us to let a set of rules or for us to come up with an interpretation that allows us to hurt people. How often do you see in the media that they'll put a microphone in some pastor's face who's is justifying why he feels this way about a certain group of people or about these, how wrong they are, how bad they are, how much he hates them. If your faith allows you to justify treating somebody else wrong, you're not reading the Bible right. You need to hear Jesus say, go and learn what this means, because being in the Word should make you more merciful. So merciful impacts the way we see people. Um, another story. A lady's in a city at a very busy intersection, and her car stalls. She can't get it cranked back up. She tries everything that she can that she can think of to crank it up, but it will not crank back up. Meanwhile, the guy behind her is laying on his horn. 
So after a couple of minutes of this, she walks back there to him and says, why don't we trade places? Why don't you go get in my car and see if you can get it cranked up and I'll sit in your car and honk your horn. But why are people like that? Why is it that when we see people who need help, we judge them harshly? It's simply this. When you love merit, when you love people getting what they deserve, uh, when you love merit like this, you see people as problems. But when you love mercy, you see people with problems. And those are two very different things. See, we tend to assess if people deserve mercy based on how different they are from us uh, rather than how alike they are. Uh, the four most hated words in, in, in the Bible for a Pharisee are these words, there is no difference. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. So why didn't Jesus come to call the righteous? Because there are no righteous. We're all sick. We're all sinners. We sing the song, everyone needs compassion, kindness of a Savior, let mercy fall on me. The third thing, people who love mercy are not only grateful for what God has done for them, they look for ways for it to flow out of them to other people. They look around themselves for other people who need mercy. See, most of us, we didn't get thrown into a ditch, or we didn't accidentally fall into a ditch. We dug the ditch, and then we got into ourselves. A lot of us are in the ditch because of our own actions. But whether or not you got thrown into a ditch or accidentally fell into a ditch, or you're there because of your own actions, God saved us by his mercy, and that mercy that saved us wants to also work through us. So who do I need to help who may never know it was me who helped them? Who do I need to forgive who doesn't deserve it? In order, in order to do that, you have to be willing to get down in the ditches. And that's not easy because ditches can be disgusting. Helping other people can be scary. A lot of us, we want our Christianity to be safe and, and sanitized and comfortable. Uh, in, in the early second century, a plague broke out in Antioch. And a Roman soldier writes a letter back to his superior in Rome, updating him on the situation. And he says this, that, that a plague broke out, and, and one of the first people to leave the city were the politicians and the doctors and, and some of the upper crust of society. But then he says, I had to pull back my own troops in order to, uh, to keep us safe from the contagion. Then he adds this curious little detail. He says, the only group that remained in Antioch to tend to the sick and to care for the dying were the Christians. And the soldier found it incomprehensible that anybody would do something like that. And here's the thing you need to, to glean from this. So often we have opportunities to show mercy and we miss them. We don't miss them because we don't see them. We miss them because we talk ourselves out of them. One final thought, story. An evangelist told a story how when he was a boy during the Great Depression, he was walking with his mother, and they came upon a guy who looked like he hadn't bathed in a long time and hadn't eaten in a long time. So she invited him home to dinner and had him clean up and eat dinner. And so he goes to her house, he gets showered, gets all cleaned up, and he's sitting down eating. And then the guy says to the woman, I wish there were more people in the world like you. And she says, there are. You just need to look for them. The man says, lady, I wasn't looking for you. You look for me. We just sang, there is no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up coming after me. God does that because he loves mercy. 
He loves pouring out mercy. So, as we conclude, two things you need to think about. Number one, do you need God's mercy right now? Uh, because he's ready to give that to you. He loves mercy. He loves giving mercy. He can give that to you right now. Second of all, is there somebody in life that you need to give mercy to? Who you've been saying, they don't deserve it. You know, they haven't earned it. Uh, is it time for you to say, look, just like I receive mercy, I need to give mercy to them. Here's the thing. When we focus on mercy, we begin to see everything else more clearly. When we put mercy at the top where it belongs, when we put it there on the things that we need to focus on, our vision about everything in life, everything about who God is, and everything about what God wants us to do, that becomes so much more clear. So can you be a person? Can you walk out of here a person who's either received mercy or is going to show mercy, and you walk out of here a person who is, knows what it means to love mercy like you never did before? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have given us uh, this great mercy. And Lord, may we be a people who are so overwhelmed with that, 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 that we just love to see it flow through us. We become a people who look around and we see neighbors everywhere. Every person we look, we say, there's someone who's created in the image of God. And, and, and we're, in, we're in their presence of somebody that's so precious to God that he sent his son Jesus to die for them. Father, may your mercy overwhelm us. And may we no longer be making excuses. May we no longer be making assumptions. But may we be people who are willing to go into the, the ditches and to extend mercy to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.